0: Good heavens, it's a Bobcast. Welcome to Episode 2 with your host, Bob Evans. Uh, If you will indulge me, I just want to have a quick chat. Think of it like a fireside chat with you. Um, Just to get through a a bunch of things that uh, I want to talk about. Firstly, thank you to everyone who listened to Episode 1 with Tony Buchan. There were lots of lovely comments made. Um, A lot of people listened to it. It was uh, wonderful. And uh, I thank you for that and for tuning in once again also in the last couple of weeks i announced my new record it's called car boot sale it comes out on june 17 in its physical form on shelves but you can pre-order it on itunes or over at jb hi-fi insanity online all that kind of thing also there are two new video clips for the first two singles Uh, the songs are called matter fact and the other one is called happy tears and those videos are up on youtube so I'd love for you to check them out if you wish to. And also I've started a playlist on Spotify and it's called Good Evans, It's a Bobcast Soundtrack. And what I'm going to do every, after every podcast that I, after I've spoken to my guests on, on the Bobcast, I'm going to basically add to this playlist the songs that we've talked about and my guests have chosen that we talk about. So... If you want to sort of access those songs, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, so I'm going to keep doing that all the time and hopefully the the, the playlist will get really long and and interesting and, and varied. And yeah, basically provide a soundtrack to this podcast, which I think is kind of cool. All right, so episode two, my guest is Mr. Tom Ballard. I first met Tom when he was doing Breakfast Radio on Triple J, which he did for a number of years with Alex Dyson, he doesn't do that anymore. He does a bunch of TV hosting, and he's a stand-up comedian. Um, but the thing that, Tom, that I've noticed uh, over the last year or two with Tom is his um, vo- political voice uh, is becoming more prominent. He um, is become very engaged, particularly with the issue of offshore detention of asylum seekers, so I, I guess what, what I want to sort of say is that the first sort of half hour of this podcast is basically just me and Tom talking about politics. It's something that I'm very interested in as well. We, we do get to music. We get there um, in the second half of the podcast. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of how it rolls. Um, once again, there is the, a little bit of explicit language. So if, if bad language offends you, be warned um there is a bit of it in there Uh, but we had a really great chat and he's a lovely guy and a very funny guy so i hope you enjoy it um all right i think that's about it Uh, so here we go enjoy episode two of good evans it's a bobcast are you going good thank you thanks for joining me a pleasure thank you for having me (laughs) this is episode two whoa yeah yeah so i've kind of i've got the The disappointing i've got the awkward kind of (laughs) you know virgin kind of experience out of Mm -hmm. my system and but although this you know is different i'll I'll sort of quickly just describe um where we are we're um we are in the boardroom Mm. of a universal record company which is a label that i'm sort of signed to kind of through emi or whatever it's it's complicated.
1: Is there um, just one label now? Because every yeah, we'll be label, soon. all labels seem to lead back to, yeah, Universal or Michael Gidenski owns <laughs> everyone's soul. It's, and um,
0: yeah, I mean, actually, that's a good point. I'm not sure where Mushroom stands with things, but I, I signed to EMI probably about 10 years ago and... About three years ago they got bought by Universal right or EMI actually got taken over by a private equity firm <laughs> <laughs> in England right? right so they got to we on. love music here at the private equity <laughs> exactly. firm and then after 12 months the pri- you know whoever they were the private equity firm were kind of like uh, uh, I think we're going to sell this now yeah. this is really <laughs> working for us. <laughs> And then, this is how it's been explained to me, anyway. Yeah. Um, and then Universal bought it. So, so my stuff still gets released on the EMI label, but and EMI still has their own office in Sydney, I think. Right. But Universal kind of as the umbrella. So, yeah. And so now it's there's tight. only three lab- majors. Yeah. Universal, Warners, and Sony.
1: Okay, it it's like weird. when you go to the pub and there's like you know four different soft drink and it's like oh what will I choose in this wonderful exactly. system and then it's like oh it's all owned by Coke and yeah yeah, yeah. Rupert yeah. Murdoch like, probably
0: well it's like is is does Coke do Fanta and Sprite yeah yeah so it's like Coke you're either signed to Coke Fanta or Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the best analogy but yeah but, they're all um, delicious so we're in this in the boardroom and we're surrounded by. um Artists, uh, post. actually, there's a really massive uh, Tame Impala mural at the front, which yes. I've never seen before. We've got Florence and the Machine, Spoon, Kate Miller-Heidke, Three Hundred and Sixty,
1: Mumford and Sons—all the classics. Are classics, represented. modern classics. Yeah, I don't want to point it out, but I can't see any of your work up here represented in. Yeah,
0: I look. I've got a feeling that <laughs> there's probably it's either a bit of an oversight <laughs> or. Or perhaps they don't actually realise that I'm signed to their label, <laughs> or um, maybe you know these have just been up for a, a long time. Yeah, that's probably. You no, know, these you're are the, all, yeah. you're
1: the future. So yeah, um, my um, my management company uh, who, who looks after my, myself and a bunch of other comedians have a policy where on a wall in their office they have all the first. Promo photos that you've ever taken, <laughs> which is just a horrible so, experience because every time you walk in there, you just want to describe like, yeah. yours. So mine is me <laughs> in a shirt with a scarf. Oh, turning around and pointing at the camera <laughs> with long dumb hair. I'm oh. thinner, I'm, which I like, <laughs> but I look I look so punchable and. Um, It's real bad But then there's like Will Anderson's from like Late 90s I reckon Is in there as well (laughs) And a tiny little Roe McManus
0: I guess you may not see it In his photo But this was Will Anderson Rocking the uh, The uh, painted nails
1: Uh, Probably yeah Probably thongs Out of shot Yeah I
0: remember the painted nails Being kind of edgy In the 90s You know (laughs) (laughs)
1: What what would you think Of someone If you met them With painted nails today Today
0: You know what I don't know I don't even think I'd notice It's kind of like tattoos Right It's like once You know what kind kind of killed it, killed tattoos for me was when I started when footy players had them yeah. once any kind of fashion gets kind of taken up by footy players Co-op that's when you know yeah. that yeah. it's filtered through to mainstream so it's cultural
1: appropriation it's like wearing a, a Native American headdress to a yeah. music festival it's like no that's not for you yeah, totally. you have muscles and girls like you and you're accepted by society we're trying to rock out over here you know hanging out on brunswick street and then yeah this. I, I mean i've got a couple
0: of tattoos and they're not very good but um and in places where i can keep them covered but i remember when i got them done jeff and i were on tour in america and um i can remember when i got my first one i had started to like imagine this like image of the future You know, almost like an Orwellian kind of thing where, like, you know, some kind of, like, um, all-powerful kind of government, say, in the future takes over and people that have got tattoos are, like, sent to prison or something like that. (laughs) Like, I started, like, coming up with all these, like, weird, like, a future scenario. Yeah, some kind of science fiction kind of thing. That's interesting. So... You, Tom, also do a podcast, I was listening to it on the way here. Oh, really? Which is called Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. Like like I'm a Six-Year-Old, explain
1: it to me, like I'm a Six-Year-Old. Yeah, yeah,
0: well it's a, you know, it's a good idea and um, I wish I'd thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) So you got there first. But how long have you been doing that, your podcast book?
1: I uh, started January of last year, so yeah, about, about a year and a half, I think we're up to episode 63 or something, I say we as if there are multiple people working, it's <laughs> me, it's me in is my bedroom.
0: Like make it sound like it's a Yeah, we, we hear it like of <laughs> a six-year-old industries, Yeah. So uh, like when like starts up their own company and they're self-employed and they refer to their company as like the team at yeah. such and such and we're, <laughs> that's <laughs> what we're it, about, yeah. when it's just like <laughs>
1: one person in their, in their home study, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that, yeah. I like that. I like that vibe. I like to <laughs> give the impression that there's a lot more going on, but yeah, it's sort of it's me sitting down with people and doing um, yeah one-on-one interviews, mainly based around politics. So I've been talking to activists and occasionally comedians and um, some musicians, just people about yeah their politics, political beliefs, and where yeah. they're coming from and why. And it's you know, I mean, my politics come through, and certainly most of the guests you know, tend to lean towards the left. Sure. But I've done, I've tried, at least tried to track down, I've had like Peter Reith on and Tim Wilson.
0: I haven't heard it, but I've heard it mentioned on another podcast you're in, um, where you interviewed
1: like someone from like a Christian, like an Australian Christian lobby, Lyle Shelton from yeah, Australian yeah. Christian lobby. Yes, he so, came to my, I was in Canberra, and uh, this is a guy who's, they're the ones who are campaigning madly against, uh, same sex marriage and safe schools. Uh, so, you know, they're literally in Canberra lobbying our politicians to reflect Christian values. And um, wow. he says, in my opinion, some pretty horrible things. But to like his what? credit, like, what's an example? Well, this is the same organization. The, the head um, suggested that homosexuality was comparable to smoking. And so it should be <laughs> kind of behavior that should be discouraged. Well, so, like, causes cancer, or...? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess the implication is that there's a certain disease that certain gays have had some trouble with before. Okay, right, yeah. You you do put things in your mouth, so it's sort of similar in that way. (laughs) Um, It can be expensive, but, no, I mean, it's stuff like that. And then, you know, this, this campaign, they're waging against the Safe Schools Coalition, which is a fantastic program. Aimed at you know uh, stopping homophobic and transphobic and biphobic bullying, and it's just this mm. awesome thing that's been developed by good people mm. that's working and saving lives. You know the fact that they would go out. So of their it way. was it has been implemented or not? Yeah, it's been been around for ages. Yeah, it was in, it was okay. in um, Victoria for, for for a long time, and then went national. It was so successful. You know, it's, it was you know um, the national launch was sort of locked in under the Labor government, but then Tony Abbott's government still launched it. And then only recently, the crazy right wing of his party sort of started raising some concerns about the contents of the program and then they introduced these new um, edits to it, some sort of um, restrictions to it, which really undermine the effect of the, the whole idea, yeah. So yeah. it's stuff like, um, okay, if you want to access this material, you have to get permission from your parents. Right. Well, if you're a young queer kid in the closet and, yeah. you know, you're really worried about this stuff and you just want some information, yeah, yeah. you may well be really worried about what your parents... Yeah. So you effectively have to come out to your parents in yeah. order to... Because, you know, what What straight kid is like, oh, I'd love to get that gay pamphlet. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe yeah.
0: the straight kids that, well, that are a little maybe. bit curious.
1: <laughs> maybe. That's good. That should be encouraged. They yeah, should have yeah. to go to the parents for that. So, yeah. um, Anyway, yes, I mean, sitting down and talking to those people can be a very frustrating experience, but I think it's important because... We can always maybe mischaracterize where people are coming from, and mm. you know make assumptions about people. And I genuinely believe Lyle Shelton thinks that he's doing the right thing. Yeah, sure, but uh, he's not. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, it's yeah.
1: I guess like everybody kind of thinks that they're on the right side, don't they? Right. Every this is a screenwriting thing. Um, every every villain thinks they're the hero of the story. <laughs> so, and and that's why sometimes you know superhero movies can be really boring because the evil villain's just like I'm evil. I'm like, well, that's, no one is actually like that. Everyone has a reason yeah, for why yeah. they're doing what they're doing. Yeah.
0: So, um, yes. So and um, also, too, you know, <laughs> they get validate Like, well, I guess we all get validation for our opinions by other people how, holding the same views. Like yes. they the same opinions, you know. And so if there's, like, a number of people around you that think the same thing. Yes. That makes you think, well,
1: you know. Or defining themselves by what you're not. So, you know, people on the right look at people on the left and yeah, say, well, yeah. I'm nothing like those people. They don't reflect yeah. my life experience. Their ideas must be pretty stupid. Yeah, I mean, that's what I find sort of so depressing about the election at the moment because you just know no one is ever going to acknowledge when the other side has a good idea. Yeah. And that's that's actually how, if you have a meeting in any other, yeah, yeah. Uh, in business or any other situation, yeah, yeah. and there's a problem that you're trying to solve, yeah. people chip in and you acknowledge when the ideas are good or you explain yeah. why you think that's bad. Yeah. And you don't question the motivations of people, you know, mm. suggesting things in, mm. in, that, in that environment if you really want to get something productive. So, yeah, I think that's probably the, I don't know, I go back and forth. Some days I'm like, yeah, we need to listen to each other and come together as a community. Mm. And the next day I'm like, the fuck don't these have Tory done arseholes. Let's yeah. set fire to... Um,
0: the, the, the one, one of the sort of overwhelmingly frustrating things you know, with politics that I find is that um, just how um, it's basically turned into just this game of, of scoring points and stuff. And yeah. sometimes I feel like what I would really love, what would blow my mind, and, and something that I feel like I haven't heard many many years it's just for a, a political leader it doesn't even need to be the freaking prime minister just somebody <laughs> in politics who stands up and speaks uh gives and like speaks inspirationally yeah like talks about like big ideas you know in a and and just to kind of inspire you know some kind of uh, a, a feeling that you know that they're thinking about things in a really big way and trying to oh, well, see yeah. what you want there I know that you want our of...
1: political leaders to show leadership and that's not what yeah, we're uh, about yeah, here yeah. in Australia thank you very because
0: much. I remember when Barack Obama won the presidency in America and I know a lot of people you know who didn't like Barack Obama obviously mm-hmm. criticized him it' was all tokenistic guy oh, you know he's a great you know he's 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 become president just by being a great talker and all that kind of stuff but like it was just it was just nice to, like <laughs> <laughs> somebody in politics sure, kind of talk really positively about really big, broad yeah. ideas, you know? Yeah, um,
1: and also, a, you know, we should hold our leaders to account and regardless of where they are. So, you know, Obama was a land, watershed moment. I think he's a smart, mm-hmm. intelligent man who's done a lot of good things, but let's not ignore the fact that, you know, he's responsible for drone strikes in the Middle East. So that's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's not let's not pretend that the rhetoric that we want to hear in political speeches... Um, shouldn't be soaring and should actually try to elevate the debate. Now, the the realities of politics means that you're probably not going to reach those heights that often, but sometimes you do, and that's a good thing. But I I agree with you, yeah. And I I would love our politicians to look people sort of in the eye and and challenge them a bit, rather than constantly catering, you know, or trying to appeal to everyone's sense that they're entitled to something and that they're Mm -hmm. entitled to a tax cut. Saying, no, no, a lot of you are doing really quite well. And if we want our society to be better and more inclusive, we need to take all the privilege and wealth that we have and try and help people at the bottom. Yeah. And not smear the people at the bottom, as the Murdoch media often does, yeah. as group takers and people who are trying to get something for nothing when really yeah. they're just struggling to get by, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't really win votes, unfortunately.
0: I remember hearing a few years ago, like some, a quote, you know, talking about um, the, the measure of a great country or a great society or whatever is how well the worst off mm. are doing mm. and i and that's a that's a kind of ideology that i can really buy into you know yeah. i think that's really you know that's really true and it and i suppose you can look at a lot of what are, a lot of the kind of issues that are being talked about in this election campaign and it is kind of like I found it interesting. That it's kind of coming down to a lot of the disparity of wealth thing, like this whole negative gearing stuff. Yeah, I mean, like the first time I ever heard the term negative gearing, right? Yep. It was a great joke on the Late Show. You know the uh, you, uh, the you know the guys like Tony did... Martin and Lucky yeah, yeah, yeah. Dog, yeah. And I just remember <laughs> them. Having pictures from like uh, it was like a sec- it was like a sex guide thing, like different positions and stuff. And yeah. There's like a picture of these <laughs> people, someone having sex with somebody else from behind, and he says like, and he was kind of all these pictures were different examples of yeah. economic things, and that right. was negative gearing. <laughs> 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 I didn't know what negative gearing was right yeah i had, I recognized it as some kind of economic term that I didn't understand but yeah. yeah that was my introduction to Oh, wow well. but it's being talked about all the time now and, yeah. um and now I think I kind of understand what it is but to me that sounds like a an issue that is getting to the getting to the heart of the um Disparity between the haves and the have-nots, and, yeah, and that seems like that kind of took me by surprise. And it's, it looks like now, with the election coming up so quickly, that that's going to be one of the main things that yeah people are going to be voting about.
1: Yeah, income inequality is certainly yeah, I mean, it's certainly up there in the in the uh, in the states, and also in the UK, really, with with Jeremy Corbyn's the leader, leader of the Labour Party there now, and he's someone who was you know <laughs> they released his like parliamentary registry, all the stuff that he's been claiming. Um, on the public purse like oh, all yeah. the entitlements and it's like yeah. 23 pounds or something like this guy just does not fuck wow. around with yeah. public money yeah. and uh, you know his, his, um, his housing's very modest and he yeah. really works actively to try and help people from lower economic backgrounds get into the political system yeah. which is half yeah. the battle when you yes. start to realise you know how many private school toffs end up actually running the country. Yeah. In the UK, it's, you know, this awful, this kind of Oxbridge... Um, sure. ...kind of uh, a, a constant yeah, class of like political an, class people. That's yeah, right, so. and so it's kind yeah. of
0: almost like a training... ...like an institutional kind of training ground, and they just... Yeah, kind
1: of... yeah, and they, yes, will legislate and talk about, you know, people on welfare without having yeah. met any of those people or spent a day of on welfare in their lives, yeah, so... Yeah. And that's the disappointment with the Labour Party, right? That's what the Labour Party sort of used to be about. Mm. But now, I mean, there's a story this week about this guy, David Feeney, who forgot to claim this $2.1 million house that he has. He's a <laughs> Labour candidate. just <laughs> forgot to declare it. And he was negatively gearing it. It's in Northcote. <laughs> oh and you're like, this is, doesn't seem like the party of the worker right now. This seems like party
0: of the people with 2.1 million how do you yeah I mean yes that's just ludicrous isn't it I mean eat
1: the rich Kevin revolution (laughs) woo (laughs) you gotta write the songs (laughs) have you heard the new Bernard Fanning song Beast Belly of the Beast I
0: just heard it a couple of days ago yeah it's sort of and but I had to kind of seek it out right it seemed like it kind of has come out fairly softly what they call in the music business a soft release
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which... Well, that's what I call it when I ejaculate okay, so oh. is this a family show or when you ejaculate? Jackie... <laughs> well, or maybe it's like when you ejaculate like, without being able to actually get a hard on. right <laughs> That's a soft release. That's Ballard's latest. <laughs> soft release. Uh, but oh. yes, I have. <laughs> right. I have heard that. I mean, yeah. there was just, just you know, it's, it's this big anthemic thing. And there's sort of something about um, where he's clearly going for a political anthem. It was released during the election. He's sort of saying there are all these elections coming yeah, up in yeah. the Western world. And do we get the leaders that we deserve? Mm. But there's just a line on there that is... Um, uh, the future is suffocating on an echo from the past, yeah. which I think is uh, such a nice way... And it, it ties in with this David Marr quote. David Mars has been on the radio quite a bit talking about the election, and he was sort of saying, this, this country is so much more progressive than its political leaders will allow it to right. be. And if you look at the polling on, like, gay marriage, euthanasia, yeah, yeah. drug reform, a whole bunch of issues, the electorate are way ahead of our politicians. Yeah. So
0: how like, does this... Happen, like, How have we... I don't, I don't why know, are we, we in all, this position? Well, I mean...
1: I, do, I don't know. I can only theorise. But I would say that, um, again, with that system that we have set up, so if, if the rich and the privileged end up, you know, sort of getting most of the pre-selection positions in the uh, Liberal Party, it seems, and if the Liberal Party keeps pre-selecting white people rich men mm. cisgendered straight men yep. uh, that keeps happening again and again you know Labour has ma- minority quotas or you know f- female quotas and stuff for, right. for a certain pre thing, which is good but there's still yep. a long way to go even yep. the Greens is an extremely white male dominated um, party room it's, yeah, it's yeah. True, no. So you know what I mean so yeah. it's there and so you need to get different people into the process to make mm. that stuff happen but, yeah, it is remarkably... Like, our, our parliament is far more religious than than Australia is. And yeah. Than, and when you have the Australian Christian Lobby based in Canberra on a full-time wage, spending all their time... Excuse me! <laughs> <laughs> That's the beer. That's a little <laughs> Sorry? Beer. Del- delicious beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah, if you have people in Canberra who, whose full-time job is to lobby people and, and, you know, fight for Christian values all the time and, you know, whip up support from, like, Erica Betts and Corey Bernardi, then mm. you sort of see these sort of... Insanely regressive steps being taken
0: Yeah like the, the sort of religious There's a religious minority I
1: suppose But they I guess they're kind of organised Yes you know? Yes. Which is a common criticism of the left You know like we, we just can't get our shit together yeah. and, and also the left Has this annoying tendency To kind of eat itself sometimes So um, I mean You know Green supporters will brutally um, uh, criticise Labour, which I think is fair enough in a lot of different ways, particularly when it comes to sort of refugee policy. Like, Labour should be called out for their support of offshore detention. But then the socialist alternative will criticise the Greens, and then, you know, it's it's always kind of like who's the more pure version of the ideology, this constant fight. Whereas on the right, you do seem a much more sort of uniform, organised. You know, yeah, we can all agree we want more money, yeah. let's work, work to make that you happen. You
0: mentioned offshore detention, I know, like, um, is it the stand-up show that you're doing at the moment that's based around that?
1: Yeah, I, I did a show at the festival, yeah, and, and I'll be touring it, yeah, I should be doing it in Sydney later in the year, still trying to figure out how to do that. But, that's yeah, that's a show called Balance Plains to Share, which was a comedy lecture yeah, about yeah. Australia's treatment of refugees. And so you,
0: you must have done a ton of research writing that, right?
1: I, I did. I did a lot for me, or for any comedian doing a show. I think. I've never yeah. had to do research for a, a comedy show before, so it was certainly a lot of that. But there are people who, yes, whose knowledge and whose um, writing about this goes back, you know, goddamn decades. But yes, I read some books and quite a lot of articles, and I got to talk to some experts and people who work in the field and stuff. Yeah, to, yeah to is say, that as close as you can really get? Like talking to people that work there because. You can't... No one's allowed to... Oh, in terms of actually going there, I didn't... You know, the show didn't delve too much into the conditions on the uh, on the centres right. because there is just no comedy there, right. really. I, I, I've talked dark. to some some people, you know, who are in detention now or come out of detention who spent some time on on Aru, and certainly, yeah, all the details they gave me, I'm like, well, that's just a fact that I will mention without trying to do any comedy about mm-hmm. it at all. Yeah. Um, a big chunk of the show was sort of his history, so I was going right back right. to Federation and looking right. at how Australia has just been really scared of people from the outside for a very long time, and, yeah, yeah. and how it all sort of eventually built to this ridiculous situation <laughs> we've got now. So yeah, because you know you can make fun of people a hundred years ago. That's that's, sli- that's slightly, <laughs> slightly less yeah, yeah, yeah. less horrible. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then try and also make fun of the kind of attitudes and the kind of insanity that's led us to this this yeah total fear of, of people. But
0: people do people believe it, you know, and they're like. Really, really strongly, and mm. they've got they've arrived at that view somehow. Like, I, I, you know, you could, I guess, you could argue that the media, you know, really kind of preys on yeah on people who are perhaps vulnerable and will believe, you know, will yeah. believed or kind of buy into all that fear kind of stuff. But they've arrived at that view somehow, as as crazy as it seems to you and I.
1: I don't know what it is. It's so you know, it's a late eighteen nineties a big motivating factor for federation is the chinese and the chinese are coming here on boats and they are largely economic refugees quote yeah. unquote they're people coming to just work and to work on the goldfields and to make a better yeah. life themselves yep. and so that's a big motivating factor for all the white people to say right we've got to get our shit together be a unified country so that we can have borders and keep yeah, these yeah. people out yeah you know edward barton first prime minister of the country says the doctrine of the equality of man was not supposed to refer to Chinese people (laughs) as if like (laughs) come on guys seriously so that's right there at the start of the country and then you've got the white Australia policy for 70 years we take refugee Jewish refugees but we're not like crazy about it Mm. And then in the seventies, all these Vietnamese people come on boats, and Malcolm Fraser says, "Oh, we have an obligation to help these people out because we invaded their country and we've, you know, we've fought in that war, and exactly. these are just innocent people running away." Yeah. And then he sets up this system where people are processed in Malaysia and Thailand, and if right. people are successful, they're then flown to Australia. So that's
0: the sort of origins of offshore detention.
1: Well, well, no. this was sort of reception centers. So, they, so people were so people were leaving Vietnam by boat anyway. Yeah. They were getting to Asia, and there was like, okay, let's set up the processing there, yeah. not not in detention, open right. processing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know, because and people, you know, these people aren't criminals. They want to help the processing system as much as possible because they want to, you know, start their lives again yeah, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. So, you know, so then over ten years, I think about one hundred and fifty thousand Vietnamese people were eventually resettled in Australia, mm-hmm. and they were flown there safely. And there was just mm-hmm. you just didn't have the same. And then throughout the eighties, thirty people arrived in Australia by boat. That was the total for the whole no. ten years. So, yeah. so that's a way to stop the boats without locking people up and without reducing people to to, to suicide yeah. and, and um, horrible things.
0: I had somebody yeah. some I read somebody suggesting the idea that maybe it would be possible to just like quietly release the people who are stuck on. Is it just, Manus and Nauru? Are they got yeah. the two. Yeah, yeah, that's where they are. Yeah. If they could just quietly release them without anybody kind of knowing... Yeah. ...then that might be like an
1: actual strategy? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's such a tricky thing because the government will tell you that if we were to... You know, so constantly saying there's people in Nauru and Manus Island will never come to Australia... If they come to Australia, that sends a message to the people smugglers... Yes. ...that, so. that quote-unquote, all you have to do to come to Australia... ...is to get on a boat, then be locked be up locked in detention up for, for, in, in for however, long. two years... Yeah. ...and have your fucking trauma yeah. exacerbated, potentially be raped and physically abused. Yeah, you know, that's all you have to do. Yeah. So, there's that. Then New Zealand said, okay, we'll take 150 of these people off now, and Mount's Island, ...and the government says, no, no, that's too good for them. Because they could go to New Zealand and then they could come to Australia. Or being in New Zealand you know, that's a prosperous Western country. That's actually too good. That's, again, sending the wrong signal. So they only want to send these people to shitty countries or countries that have their own problems, like Cambodia, where, you know, people live yeah, in poverty yeah. a lot and they don't have a great prospect of a good life. Uh, or Kazakhstan, or Kyrgyzstan, rather, uh, near Russia, which, yeah, yeah. you know, where homosexuality is illegal and there's a whole bunch of range of issues. So, yes, and then some people who defend the status quo says, hey... Hippies, Hey, you advocates, stop making so much noise about this because you're actually stopping the government being able to quietly make sure this goes away, which yeah. I just find a really difficult position to understand because I'm like, well, our job is to call yeah, that yeah. bullshit when we see it. you know. Yeah. And there are people setting themselves on fire, their kids in there without the medical facilities they need. Don't tell me to shut up so that the people who introduce these shitty policies can get away with making them slightly yeah, less yeah. shitty.
0: And also, too, it strikes me as
1: unbelievable
0: the amount of money and effort that oh, it's got, is put into right. this kind of right. policy that, you know, to you and I seems not only wrong, but kind
1: of does, doesn't make any sense.
0: And they're pouring yeah. just massive amounts massive of resources into it.
1: It's $1.2 billion a year for offshore detention. Crazy.
0: So why aren't people, say somebody who, you know, it believes that Australia's full, we don't have room for any more of these and more of these asylums these illegals legals or whatever yeah but like surely you could um, you could kind of appeal to their like the fact that like but you're like the your government is yeah. spending like billions of dollars that
1: doesn't surely like they could see the insanity in that it that's a re- I would would have agreed with you and then the asylum Seeker resource Center issued some research commissioned some research of mes- the kind of messaging that works to convince people with with where we're at. And for some reason, the economic argument does not Doesn't cut work. through. It's bizarre. It's the same. You same with you know national security. We're just spending fifty four billion dollars to make submarines in Adelaide. People, people, even people who have a lot of suspicion of government and a very right wing and economically conservative yeah. are prepared to write a blank check when it comes to defence. Um, and you know, the this this humanitarian issue has yeah. now been labelled as a defence issue, a national security issue as well, yeah. even though there are no record. You know, like, people coming by boat are just highly like unlikely to be terrorists. Yeah. In fact, they're running away from the ferry people that we're trying yeah. to fight in the war on terror. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, the Cambodia resettlement deal. We paid them $55 million and resettled less than five refugees at this point. Um, it's just insane. It's crazy. And then, you know, this is why Peter Dutton's comments this week like, are so outrageous about yeah. refugees being illiterate. You know, yeah, illiterate say, like, yeah. yeah. Because they're just like they're some of the hardest working people in this fucking country. Can
0: you remember sort of what he actually said, or you know what the main sort of thrust of his? Well, was it a throwaway line, or did he sort of ex- expand
1: on his? <laughs> he, yeah. It's very hard to get in the mind of Peter Dutton, the potatoy <laughs> mind of Peter Dutton. But he said yeah. two things that cannot be true at the same time. He said they're either they're taking Australian jobs or they're languishing in in uh, oh, unemployment, unemployment That's right. Yeah. And languishing on Medicare, okay, we don't languish on Medicare. Yeah. People use Medicare. Yeah. That's how the system works. Yeah. Oh, what, does he, what does he do? Like, yeah. How does he do it? Yeah. I don't take. I don't take jobs or not be unemployed. Yes, you do. You have to do one of those things. But yeah, I mean, all even by his own maths, the sort of maths he's talking about there, would still total less than. Paying welfare t- than the offshore detention program. Hmm. Um, if we took these you know, two thousand people, in, you know, in, um, and it's just such a bizarre situation that the minister for immigration seems to be very opposed to immigration, <laughs> to very low interest like in a- making the.
0: It just it seems to be the liberal way, though, doesn't it? where you know, with Tony Abbott called, like made himself minister for women. Yeah, it was almost, it was kind of like the ultimate fuck you, wasn't it? <laughs> yes,
1: like, like oh, Greg Hart, environmental yeah, minister.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself a minister for women. I'm gonna do it with a straight face. It's kind <laughs> of like give a fuck. It's, like, yeah, drop the mic. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know what he does anymore except kind of cruise around and pretend he's still the prime minister, He's hanging
1: out. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: yeah, I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure he did a lot for women during his time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if we did some... If I did some well, research, we'd find something.
1: He specifically said, you know, well, by abolishing the, the carbon tax, well, there are, the women there heard through writing. They know. <laughs> they know that the carbon yeah. tax being repealed is the yeah. best thing they could have ever have. <laughs> Fucking hell.
0: Well, yeah. look... You know, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We haven't mentioned music yet. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm starting to become quite um, quite into this idea that um, I'm creating a music podcast that doesn't have any music in it. <laughs> yeah. Remember, which was going to be, talk, we talk a lot about it. Yeah. But you won't actually hear any of it. Okay. Um, which I think kind of sets it up in a kind of unique, gives it its own unique place. Great. But I had this idea that um, I wanted to ask people to reveal their top uh, played you know on iTunes there's a playlist that you know kind of counts what you've been listening to and it creates a top 25 playlist and you yep. can expand that to like 150 or whatever if you really want to go deep in yourself and yeah I know that like when I've looked at Vine, it has been kind of surprising like I've been surprised at what's turned up yeah you know for example like um, Bob Evans. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of Bob Evans on there and a lot of Jeff and I. But just to clarify, that's work. Yeah. You know, I have to listen to mixes and all <laughs> like that there's demos and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I record <laughs> a demo. It's really fucking good. And, good I and I will listen to it 40 times in the space of a couple of days. <laughs>
1: Or, That's what know, I do Well, Whatever song it is If I love a song I will thrash it yeah, Like yeah, the, yeah. my week will be taken up With yeah. every available opportunity to Listen to that song mm. To its detriment Like I get to the end of that week I'm like I never want to hear that song you know, <laughs> It's just it's just happened too much yeah, you know? yeah. And it's so amazing to me how If you're in love with a song You're like I can never imagine myself Getting sick of this yeah. And then four days later you're like <laughs> eh, it's fine. It's fine, it's not that good That's You're just so totally sad. burning
0: out on that song Yeah You know, because some of the songs that you know would appear on my list at the moment, there would probably be a Taylor Swift song in there because I've got two little girls, and the oldest one is into Taylor Swift now. Right. And so you know, we indulge her in that, and you know, we listen to it all the time, and drives you know drives me a bit crazy. Although it has kind of also had the effect of giving me a perspective and learning a sort of the respect, you know, what she does and Mm. her songwriting and finding out things and stuff. But that's um, a different discussion but anyway
1: so did, did you play your kids sorry to really? did you play your kids kids music because i yeah. know some people who sort of did that went with you know and were really passionate about finding really good kids music and mm. you know there's obviously a real skill to that and so what what makes really good but there's some other people i know with their kids they just play the music that they loved and mm. kids love music and react to music in lots yeah. of different ways and doesn't have to be the wiggles in order for yeah, them to yeah. have a really yeah fun.
0: look my the thing that i've kind of arrived at and everybody <clears throat> you know obviously when it comes to parenting everybody's got their own way of doing things and and most of the time the right way in the wrong way yeah that <laughs> the time it's just their way yeah um my experience as a kid growing up like neither of my parents were like Really into music. Right. Oh, my mum likes to think that she was, you know, a bit of a. You know, it's kind of that thing like when you when you start to when you start a, like a career, and start to get good at something. All of a sudden, someone in your family goes, "Well, it's funny because I actually used to be a bit of a, a bit of a singer, a bit of a musician." you know, it's like, "Oh, it's, that's funny, you've never mentioned that really? before." Really, it's never come up. Oh, you must get it from me. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. As soon as somebody like starts to show like an ability to like you know play, be good at basketball
1: or yeah. something. Well, it's actually also a bit of an athlete. Yeah. You know, I was, so, Actually, with comedy, it's more people will try to put a distance between them. It's like, what the fuck is wrong yeah, with you? I didn't do anything Yeah, with that's kid. not me. That was
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> that was all you. <laughs>
1: what did you do? Know? But
0: yeah, so when I was growing up, yeah, there wasn't... I didn't grow up in a, what I would describe at all as a, as a musical mm. house. So every musical discovery I made from my first ones, which was uh, at about the age of six, Michael Jackson and Kiss stuff like that from that point onwards every musical discovery i made was completely was my own little discovery my own world and that and that never stopped and and i i really loved that i I love the fact that uh that's how it worked and i also i said you know i've got friends who have had the opposite experience and like you know their parents were super cool had all the coolest records And when they were six they were like you know chilling out to bob dylan and stuff And, and you know and that it works as well. Yeah. Um, but so my thing with my kids is, like, I've just kind of gone open as the other... I don't even really... It's only really been very recently that my oldest daughter's even really started to understand what I do for a living. Right. You know, like... Because I just figure, like, I don't want to push... I don't want to really push anything on them. I, I like the idea of them just kind of discovering shit themselves. Yeah, yeah. And if it's Taylor Swift, then cool, you know. Like, you've... Everyone... I just... I want them to feel like they're just going to be on their own journey and they're going to they're going to discover the stuff that they love one way or another yeah. they don't need yeah. me like and also too kids at some age are going to want to rebel and if i like push too much cool music on them yeah. they might rebel by like getting into something i hate you know so yeah and also your question <laughs> they did start off listening to you know stuff like wiggles and high five and all that kind of kids music but now my oldest daughter ella she's f- almost five and she's just sort of now taking that leap like she's a kindy a couple of days a week, mixing mm. with other kids She's taken that leap now into the world of kind of mainstream pop music. Now she yeah. doesn't listen to kids' music anymore. So it's kind of the beginning of that. Um, but anyway, what if I just uh, have you got your have you got your list handy? I've got my hand? little list here. Yeah, I could just like throw a number at you know. Like oh yeah, yeah, Throw yeah, out sure. a number, hit me now, and,
1: and see what it is. Disclaimer: I think I do have some doubts about the metric that iTunes uses. I mean, I, I was surprised that. And some of these songs in here I'm like, oh I definitely would have listened to that a lot yeah. for certain reasons. But some other stuff I'm just like I haven't listened to that for, for years and I really? can't imagine it, it it being it coming up so often. Because it has like your um, it has an actual count of like how many. Yeah, times yeah, I guess it, you know. it's real. Well there's, there's there's a track that's like I think in a certain position in the playlist where something that I listen to a lot, it would finish and then it would skip to and start playing that. So anyway. Who cares? Um, Alright, well what's number uh, number eight? Number eight on the list
0: is... You can hear the sirens going here, so.
1: The Pigs. The Studios. Oh, no, that's the, that's the fire engine. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, no comedy there. <laughs> um, <laughs> number eight is Gillian Welch, Elvis Presley Blues. Ah, nice. From The Revelator. Cool. Have you seen her perform live? I have not.
0: I've seen footage of her performing live, mm. and I'm like, that's great. Gillian Welch is one of those people that, like, i had heard of for years, but um, I actually didn't see her and her partner Dave Rawlings perform... Until just a few months ago. Oh, right. Yeah, um, they were touring in uh, February. Mm. Um, and I went and saw them at the,
1: uh, at the Enmore in Sydney. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, Polyester Records in Melbourne released a list, their top 50 albums of the... Of the decade, maybe, or of, okay. or of the past twenty years, or something like that. And number one, and and Julian watches The Revelator. Yeah, was the yeah. Revelator was number one, and I was like, I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. I should find, them. you know, polyester. yesterday cool. Right. I want okay. those people to like me. So, so that's so, how you got into
0: it. That's how. You just, that's how I came. Across. And then Zan wow. Rowe is a big fan as well too, and oh, she mentioned
1: okay. it once or twice to me. Yeah, and that it's just beautiful from woe to go and um, from go to woe, and <laughs> um, and this song is just heartbreaking, and the harmonies on it are incredible, and it's it's. The most alt-country kind of that I... Yeah, probably right. the, the country area that I'm yeah, most yeah. comfortable in, that kind of yeah, heartbreaking, yeah. beautiful, yeah. songstress kind of um, tragedy, you know, this gothic tragedy kind yeah. of vibe to it. So, yeah, I love that song a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole like alt alternative country kind of
0: as a label of a genre kind of is a reasonably recent thing. I mean probably a 90s invention maybe even um and it kind of i reckon in a lot of ways it really helped country music stay relevant you know because it kind of modern like all of a sudden there was it was a a genre that was kind of very much as well considered to be quite conservative and old fashioned and stuff was kind of given a bit of an
1: injection i reckon yeah
0: and then all of a sudden it was kind of there was an element of country that was kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope. Um, yeah, I think there's an easy way to dismiss country music as like, oh, it's all about my truck and my woman yeah, yeah. and loving my country. And there and is a, that is a big part, part of it. Of it yeah. Yes, and that's and I see you know stuff in America, big conventions. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I can't stand that at all. Mm. Um, but there is yes, this really amazing middle ground where you know some I guess some of Bob-, Bob Evans stuff sort of fits in that old country. Oh, absolutely. I, absolutely. Yeah, I mean totally. like I the
0: the whole reason that I started doing Bob Evans was because I was playing in this kind of, you know, rock and roll band, Jebediah and and I I was listening to yeah. all this kind of like country and folk music and I wanted to and I was writing songs like that. Yeah, yeah. And that was yeah, absolutely. That was my kind of me just uh um indulging in yeah. that in that whole musical
1: scene. Is is Josh Rouse, is it Josh yeah. yeah, I mean, that album is, what's that called? Nashville? Nashville, oh, yes. Love that record. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, the guy that produced that, Brad Jones, produced a couple of my records. Oh, shit. In Nashville. Yeah, like yeah, Indiana right. State. So, yeah, Josh Rouse, so I discovered Josh Rouse from that, from um, this guy, Brad Jones, you yeah. know, and, and that was a that record was a big reference for me of the kind of sound that, you know, kind yeah, of I can hear that, quality yeah. that I was kind of looking for at that time. This is 10 years ago now, but... With um, the
1: pop hooks still being being yeah Yeah,
0: yeah Nashville I mean that's if, if I jumped on mine, which yeah. I probably I bet you uh, <laughs> in at least in the top fifty there would be there would be a Josh Rouse a Josh Rouse song or a number of songs from that that record. Yeah. It's just so so good. But yeah, what about another number? Let's go um, number four. At number four.
1: Number four. Number four is, is another beer? Yeah, go on. Why not? Because, you know, there's something about talking about music and. <laughs> just makes <laughs> want to in. drink beer. Are we going to fuck it a bit? Is that what's <laughs> going to happen? Well, because only on the Now, a that's stretch, a podcast. Three beers. Okay, right. The magic <laughs> number.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was...
1: we were just sitting around, <laughs> talking about country music, <laughs> had a few beers, and then. Well, gee, it just sort of happened. Are these herbs? <laughs> Ah, Geeesh, man. Gee. Uh, number four is Ben Folds and Nick Hornby. Working Day. Oh, okay. Now I Nick, think, yeah. this So is, Nick Hornby being the author, the writer. Yeah, yeah. Who did um, High Fidelity yeah, and yeah. About a Boy? Thank you very much. Yeah, and Ben. Ben. So Ben Folds is kind of my guy. He's my go-to guy. Right. I'm a big, huge fan. When did you get into Ben Folds? It was really through my brother. My brother and I used to come home from high school and we would play pool together. And he is would play songs. younger brother, or older, older brother, older brother. brother Gav. Yeah, three older than three years older than me. You know, okay. constantly wanting to be his friend and. <laughs> and he would play songs off his Winamp player. I don't know if you remember Winamp. Winamp um, it rings of, a bell. Yeah, heard of Winamp. It was, Man, um, that still sounds very modern to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah it, yeah it was just the list of songs that he had like that's where he kept all his songs And the player that he played tracks out of and he would just yeah play a whole bunch of Benfold so he was really getting into it and I was sort of slowly learning about them too Ben Folds 5 and um, yeah going through the back catalogue and then because yeah. yeah Rock in the Suburbs would have been 2003 or yeah, something like yeah, that yeah I novel? mean that was kind of my earliest memory of hearing Ben Folds
0: was um, uh, that song Underground yes yes uh, yeah, sure. which was like 90s yeah yeah late 90s um, yeah. But, bow bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't remember he yeah because Rock in the Suburbs was the one where he took the piss out of Kind of took the piss out of Limp Bizkit or something. Yeah, but yeah. that's, yeah. you know... Uh, what was that lyric? Um, you
1: better watch out because I'm going to say fuck. Yeah, it. Yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> said... Um, you don't know what I've, it's like. Yeah, being middle, middle class, class and white, you yeah. all know. Yeah, I, mean, was, yeah was, I guess it was pretty funny. <laughs> it was great.
1: And, yeah, that album was just sort of, yeah... To me, I loved every song on it. And there was a whole bunch of, yeah, weird pop stuff going on there. But also, he loves musicals. And so there's all these harmonies going on. And, yeah. And I just find, yeah, a lot of his music um very moving and catchy and interesting yeah certainly of late it has gone down And you know certainly i th- th- think some ben folds fans have jumped off the wagon right you know b- 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 more and more over the years i've right. hung on there but this, What's this, happened, this last think? album it's just just overly sentimental right far too aware it's, it's of itself it's getting old <sighs> it's a little bit He's of that losing the battle Schmaltz sort of, to yeah, 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 but he can still. But then you know, I will see him live. He did he did a show with the MSO last year, I think, and it was fucking great. And he's all he's always trying to do something different. Mm. And whatever you think about him, and I always respect artists like this. They just do not give a fuck what you think. You and either. he's, he's yeah. doing exactly. You gotta what he respect wants to. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did a record with um, university a cappella groups doing covers of his songs, and then this latest album is with this group called Y Music, which is like a string quartet, so he's like writing orchestras yeah. and big sort of concertos and stuff.
0: And so it was Ben Folds like a high school, were you in high school? Yeah, you? big soundtrack yeah, for my yeah. high school yeah, kind yeah. of vibe, yes. What was, uh and what was high school like for you? Because you grew up in Warrnambool, right? Mm-hmm. So were you born in Warrnambool? Born and raised, baby. Born all the way, and then I'm imagining you left around about the time that as the thing came along, or before that?
1: Well, I did um, I did a competition called Raw Comedy, which is an open mic competition when I was 16. And Triple J supports that yep. comp. And the uh, guy, Chris Gadden, who's the uh, yeah, manager yeah. of Triple J now, saw me doing stand-up and asked me if I was interested in doing radio. And Alex Dyson and I were doing a community radio show in Warrnambool, yeah, which was yeah. horrible. And I sent, <laughs> them to, sent them a tape and they said, this will do. We will work with you a lot yeah, yeah, to yeah, help yeah. with this. So, yeah, for the last two years of um, high school, I was kind of doing... Triple J stuff, yeah, wow. And then I, yeah, moved to Melbourne, 2008, to sort of start doing more comedy and, yeah, yeah, spreading the little wings. Yeah, mm. what was
0: Warnable like to grow up in? I've been to Warrnambool a few times over the years, <laughs> playing gigs at yes. the uh, at Whalers and yeah. uh, the, the Lost, which is a little upstairs kind of place across the road from Whalers. Great. But yeah, just for for people listening that maybe maybe have not even heard of Warrnambool, <laughs> it's uh, give us a give us a little postcard snapshot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's so many things. I think probably (laughs) everyone has a complicated relationship with where they grew up, but you know i mean you know perth is obviously bigger than melbourne one was like 32,000 people but yeah. i imagine there's some similarities in terms of small mindedness yeah well i think perth whilst being a very big city mm. um,
0: has suffered from its isolation in mm. you know, a and culturally and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And
1: it's a very very conservative place right and melbourne was like 3 hours away from melbourne but it certainly feels felt a lot feels longer, longer. longer yeah yeah, yeah. And it is it is actually a, a you know a great place to grow up. But if yes, once you're 18, if you want to do something creative, mm-hmm. get out there. I have my suspicions, or it makes me a bit sad when I see people I went to high school with or friends with who d- don't seem to have the curiosity to go to go to other places yeah. or consider that. And Wannable sort of just big enough that it's sort of safe to trap <laughs> trap people. Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe that's a very patronizing view of people who did, stay behind. Do you find? Because my
0: wife, um, she grew up in. Benella, which mm-hmm. is up the Hume Highway, about yeah. three hours, oh no, two hours north of Melbourne. So she's had this sort of country upbringing experience and, and the experience seems to be fairly universally like everybody, kind of that thing of like getting, finishing high school. The day after she finished high school, yeah. she was in a in a car and right. to Melbourne. Right,
1: yeah. I do. It, it's just an odd experience where, you know, I've had this... We all grew up in Warrnambool, we'd spend the whole time complaining about how lame Warrnambool was. Yeah. And then as soon, as soon as you get out of it, if anyone else sort of says something dodgy about Warrnambool, people are like, hey, mate, it's my hometown. It's right? funny, right? isn't it? Yeah. No, no. It's
0: kind of like... Well, it's, it's...
1: It's kind of like family, too. Like, you can
0: bitch about your family, but when somebody... But Sometimes if somebody else a, yeah. has to go at them, yeah. you have. No, often thanks. your first reaction is like, oh, "Hang on, hang on oh, I'm allowed to do that, but you just, watch, you just got
1: yourself." <laughs> yeah, but
0: yeah, totally. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, you can never. Pre- do you feel pressure now that you're, you know, you have a sort of by virtue of your career, you know, to have an, a public life? And mm. do you watch the way that you talk about it? Is that
1: no? I mean, some like I've, I think I've done. I think I was on TV and I had a joke about Warnable and then someone texted in to the local paper there's a text section of the local paper called text the editor where people could just text in there right so rather than writing a letter you could just, just you text, know, text you shitty big in but yeah it is that idea of like oh mr big city yeah, i think yeah. you're so good i'm like i still love my hometown and my family and the people who were there yeah. but let's not pretend that there aren't issues in Warrnambool. there's some yeah. serious casual racism yeah. um you know, my experience as a gay person was okay, but there's certainly it's certainly yeah, just not the most open-minded, quite conservative. This is this is this is Malcolm Fraser's electorate. You know, Malcolm Fraser was there. It's been a liberal seat since the 1950s. Wow. You know, a big sort of farming area as right. well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of sort of you know kind of fucked up mm. um, conservative views there. And yeah, I think it's worth calling calling those things yeah. out. Ice yeah. is a huge problem. Huge problem. Right. In yeah, I was yeah.
0: wondering about that. Yeah. Obviously that's Becoming an issue in a lot of places. Where are you based now? Part
1: of me thinks that that's kind of boredom. You know, part totally. of it is sort of because oh, yeah. if you because there are only yeah four pubs or whatever, you can't just keep going there every single oh, weekend yes. and getting drunk. And yeah, yeah. People want to mix that up, and and violence is kind of a thing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you based in Melbourne now, or Sydney? Melbourne, yeah. Okay. I moved back to Melbourne end of last year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in Sydney for a while. Yeah. I I do
0: also want to um. Uh, mentioned too while we're doing this is uh, uh, seeing you on Q&A. Oh. You fucking smashed it dude. <laughs> oh, It was really again. impressive because like in my world and with my perspective you know I'm sure there would be people that would like argue against this there always are but in my world Q&A it's a serious show. Mm-hmm. It's a serious show it talks about serious issues Yep. and when I saw you host it I was so impressed man like you just looked completely at home.
1: How was... Your experience of it. Well, thank you for saying that. I and I appreciate it very much. People said some very nice things. I think it's. I did host a show on the ABC the year before, like the Paddle Show Reality Check, which no one remembers. I think I (laughs) (laughs) I saw that one. And that was you know that's looking the other way.
0: It was on late at night, (laughs) mate. Like nine nine o'clock.
1: Yeah no <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always do a piss at nine o'clock that goes for about half an hour.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah man, you gotta see a doctor. Yeah, you gotta... <laughs> Which, you know, and I love doing that show. It was bas- it was by the same people who did Gruen, but it was about reality reality yeah. TV, right? Yeah. Oh, right, and okay. It was there's a whole bunch of issues going on there. First of all, they didn't market it as from the same people as Gruen. So a lot of people like, they didn't just off Gruen, this yeah. sucks. <laughs> I'm like, well no. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so, you know, that, that was eight weeks of, you know, doing stuff down the barrel and doing a lot of TV presenting. So, um, yes, but, you know, Q&A is a totally different kettle of fish and it is live TV and I was extremely nervous. But I was I was lucky in that the first time I did it was about, uh, it was this queer special. It was 20 years since Priscilla Queen in the Desert. Oh, right, so right, okay. So, yeah, which is a Thursday night one. So that was a special one that right. not as many people would have seen. And that was like, okay, I know this material. i just got to figure out how the show works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fred Nile was on, who's an extremely conservative New yeah. South Wales politician. And I was like, okay, I don't agree with Fred on stuff, but neither do some other people on this panel. They will they will rebut Fred plenty. They didn't need me to do that. My yeah. job is to make sure that Fred gets enough time and everybody yeah, gets yeah, enough yeah, time yeah. and we can balance it all that yeah. way. So that was sort of just an interesting process. Yeah. And then the second time around was like, okay, I've done the show before. No, that I was in Toowoomba, wasn't that it? That was in Toowoomba, yeah. yeah so that that was like, i need to learn yeah. about Toowoomba stuff, right? Yeah. So I, I really loved it. I, I am interested to see where um, I would love to do, happily do the show again. I know, you know, the election's on at the moment and, you know, Tony's sort of the best at that balance kind of thing. My my, my politics is out there quite a bit. Mm. And I think even though you could necess- you can take political positions on things and still do that job uh, perfectly well and, you know, t- t- remove your political biases in that presenting and just making sure that everyone gets equal time, I think that's a mm. way to do it. But yeah. But, yeah, I think it's so interesting, the anger that people have towards Q&A, when I think it's... It's just a representation of public debate, and it's actually mm. it's really pretty civil generally. Mm. So blank, get angry at the politicians who can't, who don't oh, aren't prepared to commit to things, or who avoid the question. Uh, people seem to take the anger out on the show, mm. and then you know we have saw what happens when a commercial network makes a discussion show called The Verdict. That oh, yeah. was a fucking na- yeah, yeah. nightmare. In yeah. my opinion. I mean, it got some different people on, but I mean, great, kind but
0: of the, the the conservative side of politics it seems that so just just think of q a as being like a mouthpiece for you
1: know leftist yeah. kind of it's like no they they always style. balance the panel yeah and my like you know my experience the the queer special there was a whole bunch of people from the christian right there asking questions asking in my opinion offensive questions about um, the nature of transgender uh, issues and, and mm. the, you know, to a transgender person telling them that they're sort of disordered or that their genitals are mangled. Um, you know, they, they get in there. And, and, you know, you see the, the um, stats every week, you know, 53% liberal, 48%... Exactly. Labor, you know, they, 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 yeah, they yeah. do that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the hypocrisy around the Zaki Mallor affair when people from The Australian were saying that Zaki Malla shouldn't have been given a platform to ask a question... Of yeah. his elected representatives, when the Australian a few years ago did a huge profile piece on Zaki Muller themselves, apparently yeah. that was different. It was live TV. <laughs> yeah, right. Always seeing, you know, I never see this story about this guy Duncan Storer. I have. Yeah. yeah so recently, this yeah. is just a poor guy. He's had his issues. He's made mistakes. Yeah. He's uh, he has PTSD from sexual abuse as a child, has drug and. Abuse um, issues kicking around. What was it?
0: Wasn't there a newspaper that, like, put a.
1: The Murdoch media just fucking trashed him and just yeah, seemed yeah. to suggest that because he doesn't pay net tax or because he's done some bad things in the past, he is disqualified from asking a question. On, on, but that, yeah. Uh, and if you ask, if you dare to ask a question about wealth dist- redistribution in Australia, yeah. we will go through your personal life yeah, and we'll put yeah. it on the front page, yeah. of, of a of a widely read paper. And you know, like that to me just sounds like
0: that feeds into the idea that, like, for, for the Met press to react so quickly and so mm. violently, it's it makes you think, like, oh shit, you know, he's gonna blow the whole deal, man. Yeah. We're gonna fucking. <laughs> you know like, he's on us I'm not a like well, the conspiracy theorist doesn't, doesn't
1: pay tax yeah. News Corp has paid zero tax in 2014
0: it's like so they're kind of like hearing this thing going like oh people are going to be listening to this, this yeah. they're going to this could, this could be the end of this us this could be bad quick we're going to squash it squash it quick that's what it sounds
1: like right yeah and it's the inability of people to put themselves in the shoes of other people and yeah. say and this is, it, it's a very defensive thing you're right it's people are scared about their own position very defensive hey I've worked hard my whole life Okay, mm. I've worked really hard to get where I am we're not denying that, but we're just saying that you may probably started out with some advantages that lots of mm. other people don't. Yeah. Don't pretend that you don't and be aware yeah. of that you are. That's what this, you know, the idea of checking your privilege is. Just be aware of, of your privilege and the way you've got to the position that you are. Yeah. And let that influence your approach to to how we talk about issues that affect other people. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> and that's why I like Ben Folds. <laughs>
0: Well, yes. I'm glad you mentioned Pentacles because let's do another. Let's oh, okay, do another yes. song, please. Let's go to. Um, how are we go for time? Let's. Well, should we just? What's number? What lands at number one? Uh, see, this is going to
1: be. It's. <laughs> It's a right, song right. from a musical. That's
0: but that's there's nothing wrong <laughs> nothing with, that. Right
1: with that. It's a song called "I Believe" from Book of Mormon. Um, have you Book seen of Book of Mormon, Mormon at all? Which is the, no. the one by the South Park guys? Um, oh, ah, yeah, so right, okay. Yeah, that was kind of a big smash hit, the Hamilton of last year. So
0: how do you? So describe. So describe the song, so I don't know.
1: Well, the Book of Mormon is about um, a a Mormon young Mormon um, evangelists these young Mormon students who go to Africa to try and fix Uganda, basically. And, it's, you know, <laughs> well, Uganda. yeah, there's, you know, they're Mormons are extremely nice people, but they have this sort of <laughs> incredible dedication to um, their faith and making the world a better place and know that they can help by converting people to Mormonism. And they go to Uganda, which is, you know, a, a lawless state with um, a lot of rape and AIDS and... Um, horrible crime being committed to left right and center Mm. and they think they can fix that with a smile and with the the word of (laughs) joseph smith and this track i believe is this sort of moment when um elder price i think i forget his name now but he's what that's his name elder and he um doubles down with his faith and he sings this incredibly stirring song called i believe which is about why he (laughs) believes so much in the in the power of God now I sang that song <laughs> I did a fundraiser last year at the comedy festival where, where they every year they get a whole bunch of comedians to do a, a music night right. based around a certain topic so this yeah. year was Dolly Parton last year was musicals so right. you could just choose one and he sang it and all the money went to the Psalm Sick Resource Centre yep. and I just loved that song a lot so, so I, you had to learn so yeah I just learn listened to it a million song. times to try yeah. and learn the song it's very high too <laughs> I believe like that, that kind of fairly <laughs> no sort of problem.
0: you didn't sort of cross into falsetto at any
1: time Please. Yeah, there's a bit at the end where he does a little trill that sort of gets right up into a high-end. Trill? A little tramp I believe! Like that. (laughs) Very embarrassed. Again, what I like in skill, I make up for enthusiasm. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I want to sort of just finish on
0: this question about how music... You know, we all talk about music being providing a soundtrack, particularly you know, in our lives when we're teenagers in high Mm. school, those kind of formative years where, you you know, music can really play such a a big role. And I'm really uh, interested in the the idea of how music has made you into the kind of person that you are, you know. And I know that you're, you know, a, a music fan. Is there any way that you can kind of look at music or maybe the community of music or whatever has kind of shaped your views or... Has it kind of helped you kind of figure stuff out for yeah. yourself or anything like
1: that? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think it's it's a collective thing. It's a cumulative thing. So, yeah, listen, lots, lots of different music all the time. And, and it's true that music can really affect and shape your values and how you see the mm. world. And it's certainly true of comedy for me. I really have learned a lot about the world mm. and have sort of sharpened what I think about things through mm. doing comedy and listening to other people's comedy and listening to all these crazy ideas, and it's it's kind of the joy of art, right? Because musicians and comedians can throw out ideas that are so fucking ridiculous and are not realistic, but they do speak to something that yeah. we'd like to be true. Yeah. And so, if we can try and get a bit closer to that, and that's that's sort of good news. Yeah. So I think I mean, yeah, political, politically tinged music, which I must say, I do not hear a lot of. Mm. being written these days I don't know if you'd agree there are certainly you know no, uh, certainly um, bands out there that really try and you know make a stand and and mm. and, um, and put their values out there in music mm. you know Against Me comes comes to mind I think um, uh, Laura Jane Grace is really sort of her, her music her talking about transgender issues oh, through yeah, that yeah, music is like really extraordinary that, yeah, that yeah, album's yeah. really fucking great Fuck My Life 666 is the song that's sort of the theme song to my podcast um, oh, right, okay. yeah And then a song I was going to mention briefly, actually, which is in my top 25, which is Glenn Scuthorpe. Scuthorpe, I think is how you pronounce it. No More Whispering. He's an Indigenous dude. And that's the song that plays at the end of my song, Uh, Godless Bones to Share. Which is... uh, I actually went back and forth about that a lot because No More Whispering is about a a friend of his in his hometown who was shot, an Indigenous guy who was shot um, by a policeman. And it was one of those kind of police brutality things. And it's this song that says No More Whispering in our minds we're going to rise up and make a change is kind of the constant refrain right and i think no more whispering is a really lovely and to mm. me it spoke to the refugee rights movement because it's like yeah it's about saying no more we can't let this go on anymore enough is enough yeah, we can't yeah. just keep seeing these horrible things and not do anything about it yeah um so listening to things like that listening to Give Peace a Chance by John Lennon and Yoko I don't know it's, they're, they're simple and idealistic and naive yeah. but that's kind of why I love them yeah me too yeah and yeah. it's a re- reaffirmation of um, of you know the, the things you value are, are important and being nice to each other and seeking peace and doing the right thing and speaking out against fucked up stuff that's those are good things to do. Yeah. Cause it's quite easy to sort of be discouraged doing those things. I think just, by yeah, an totally. And, and I think it's quite easy just to, especially if
0: you're, you know, out, do have a privileged life. Yeah. You know, by pure luck. Yeah. Um, you've landed into the world as it like, you know, as a straight white man, like myself. <laughs> <High> five. <laughs> I five. <can say, laughs> I won the lottery, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can see it'd be quite easy to, cause I know people. I, Know people very close to me um, who go through their life without really kind of because they don't have to mm. work very hard mm. to see other people's point of view or kind of get like they so they don't. Life is yeah. kind of easier just to kind of go well. My parcel laid out in front of me, you know, yeah. it was set up, and I, all I had to do was kind of turn up and hear, you know. Yeah. You know, I sometimes think about the thing of like political correctness when often when people. Talk about political correctness. Sometimes it sounds like people just kind of having a to it because they just don't want to have to fucking try. It. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's bloody political correctness gone yeah. mad. Sometimes.
1: I don't want to call her Caitlyn Jenner. Why? <laughs> what difference is it to oh, you? Sometimes, yeah. It's, it's just, one uh, like, syllable more yeah. than yeah. Bruce. Yeah. Just yeah. do it, you it's fucking dick. It's just like, come
0: my life is it's easy. You know, I've got it all sorted out. Yeah. It's, wor- I'm, it's working for me. Don't make me fucking... <laughs> Think about, you know, having
1: to say different things yeah. or, you know, use new words. <laughs> Come on. And they're probably happier than you and I, you know, <laughs> tortured in our dark night of the soul, constantly worrying about what we're doing with our lives. But that's, I think that's probably more what we should be doing. Oh, totally. Worry, yeah, totally. Worrying. Yeah. Constantly worrying. <laughs> it's the only way to happiness. You know, it's
0: the only way where you feel alive. Yeah. You're constantly living in a state of worry,
1: anxiety and dread. <laughs> The the other thing I'd say is that it's for music, I've learned kind of they can it can kind of soften harsh life lessons. Mm. So I went through the first big breakup, devastated, heartbroken. How could this possibly happen to me? Mm. I can't believe I'm so sad. I was so in love and it all went wrong. Mm. And then I listened to Fleetwood Mac's rumors, yeah. And I'm and like that album doesn't tell you hey, everything's going to be okay. No. Or that, you know, they're going to come back to you. No. That album is, this is fucked. Yeah. I'm heartbroken. It's so sad that we're not together. I miss what we had so much. But that's how life goes. Yeah, yeah. And
0: also there's a sweet kind of bed of melancholy. Yes. You know, with yes. that record that oh, you can kind love of... love
1: to revel in melancholy. Me too. Mm. Yeah,
0: that was like a... For me, I was like... That was my... T- Teenage years yeah. in a fucking nutshell. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, records like that just provide you this soft landing. Yes, this yes, soft place to fall. Yeah, and. Yeah. I or mean, a connection,
1: right? It's like, oh, other people have gone sure. through this. Yeah. And it's, it's cliche, but it's so true what they say when you're heartbroken and every song on the radio, you're yeah. like, I get it, Daryl Braithwaite. Yes. <laughs> I get it. You know what I mean? I think that's a really lovely universal <laughs> moment, you know? Yeah. Daryl Braithwaite. <laughs> One of the funniest things that I've seen
0: pop up on my uh, feed on Facebook. Obviously, was you know? Did you watch that? See that movie, Garden State? Yeah, yeah. You know how there's that really famous scene mm. where, like, they're in the waiting room of like somewhere, and he first meets yeah, yeah. the girl, and she's like, "Say, so, yeah, I gotta check out this, you the know, shins. the shins." I the you shins. know, puts the headphones yeah. on. Yeah. And you know the shins, this is a song. Uh, it's from the first record, "Oh Inverted World." I can't remember the name of the song. Um, and so he puts it on, and you know you hear the music come on. It's just really mm. like you know poignant, cool yeah. kind of moment. This great clip came up uh, where basically it's that exact same, yeah. <laughs> but when he puts the horses. <laughs> <on, laughs> <tosses. laughs>
1: You've got to check it out. That's it's so, great. It's so funny. Shins, because another band that I love, I couldn't tell you what a single one of their songs are about. But I don't care. It makes mm. me feel things. Mm. I couldn't, like his, his lyrics are quite dense and quite, yeah. you know, he's, he's a brilliant writer yeah. and, he, and he writes some really interesting stuff. But as yeah. like, I couldn't, couldn't actually tell you that x means this but yeah, um, yeah. which is fine yeah you yeah. know that's, that's actually the incredible thing about me i mean you can, have, you can listen to music with no lyrics and it can make you feel things and think things about your life Oh, absolutely yeah.
0: one of my favorite bands when i was in high school was a band called Archers of low for this sort of 90s kind of you know college indie rock kind of band and yeah. um they were kind of like cult figures but in a in a real indie kind of scene um and anyway like his style of singing I mean, I, I couldn't really understand hardly any of the words, <laughs> right. but they were my favourite band. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I knew what he was singing about. Yeah. It, was, it was almost like listening to music sung in a different language, and you might not be able to speak that language or understand the words that they're using, but you can tell by the way that they're singing yeah, and expressing you the themselves. Yeah, the cheers. That's right, yeah. and it and it can still speak to you, and it was almost like that. Yeah. You know, and that were my you know probably one of the most influential bands of my whole life. And I just didn't have a fucking clue. What are they called? Archers of Loaf.
1: Archers of Loaf. Yeah,
0: yeah. Anyway, on that note. Yes. um, Thank you, Kev. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for doing it. I I appreciate it. Um, Is there anything, I want to sort of give you a chance uh, before we finish just to uh, plug anything you want to plug or tell anybody about anything that you want to to Oh, sure.
1: Well, um, yeah, if people would like to hear my podcast... Oh, probably if, only yeah, about five people listen to this. <laughs> <so you know. laughs>
0: but please, I'm, there's five people listening. Actually, don't mention my name. I don't want to be associated with any of this. Um,
1: my, my podcast we were talking about before is called Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. You can find it on iTunes, and I'd love people to check that out. The, the forthcoming episode, I'm not sure what, yeah when, when this will be out, but um, an episode coming up is with um, Edward Burke, who is the 15-year-old guy who's campaigning for Donald Trump in America. Oh, wow. Very interesting young man. He's in year 10 and he loves Margaret Thatcher and the monarchy and Donald Trump. It's good stuff. Um, That's coming up and uh, if you're in Sydney on July 9th I'm coming back to the Comedy Store with my show The World Keeps Happening and people just go to tombella.com.au if they want to find out what I'm up to.
0: Awesome. Thanks Tom.
1: Thanks Kev. Cheers buddy. Bye. See ya. (laughs)